We discuss the dangers of paranormal investigations as well as the true nature of residual hauntings with author Mark Hunneman on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, today we have back on the podcast, Mark Hunneman, and I'm so excited to have him on again. He was on before his book is, let me try to get it in the camera there, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, so with the subtitle, A Worldview Analysis of Earthbound Spirits. And uh, so we had Mark on before with a really fascinating conversation. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it was on uh, the topic of his book, which is the true identity of, of the ghost phenomenon. And today, uh, we are fortunate enough to have him back on for a uh, two-parter. And uh, so the first part we're going we're gonna to get started with is uh, some of the effects that people are experiencing from uh, doing paranormal investigations. And then we're going to uh, round out the interview with a discussion on the true nature of residual hauntings. So, Mark, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Thank you for joining us. Really, uh, the pleasure is all mine, Alex. Thank you for the honor of being on here. Uh, appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Um, so as we get started here, I guess we can go ahead and just dive right into uh, what is uh, going on in uh, some of these cases of these paranormal investigations where people are having some effects. First off, I guess, what? how did you find out that this is going on? From the if I may use a phrase, from the horse's mouth, uh, from people who were themselves um, or and still are paranormal investigators. Um, I remember having a conversation with, I don't know if you ever heard of Dave Schrader. Uh, oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty well-known no, name. Years ago, I was on his podcast, and he agreed. He said that the deep... Uh, dark secret of the paranormal community is how much illness, um, suffering, and um, just general problems there are that come with paranormal investigating and um, across, really kind of across the board uh, in every area of life. So it comes from not just from Dave, but from numerous people in the field who who were honest and um, were hurting and just confided in me. So in your research, then, is is this um, are these effects strictly um, happening in communities of uh, ghost investigations or is it more wide ranging than that? Good question. Yeah, it's definitely not just um, paranormal investigators. Anybody who is, in a, in a sense, trying to either access or use the paranormal or supernatural realm in an unlawful, unbiblical way is opening themselves up to um, harmful effects. And uh, a couple of examples I can think of would be, for example, Reiki, which you're very familiar with. Um, and I can think of like um, mediums, folks into folks are into spiritualism. Laura Maxwell, whom we've talked about, um, her and her mom were were deeply involved in a spiritualist church in Scotland, in Glasgow, for uh, many years, about twenty some years ago, twenty to thirty years, and it was not uncommon for. Um, 
they began to notice uh, among the mediums and the psychics and so forth for them to start to, to develop uh, mental, serious mental issues. Wow. And Laura's mom herself um, was committed to a mental asylum and ended up committing suicide. Um, though she, she was saved, she still um, was battling a horrible um, uh, scarring effect from it. So really, it's it's wide open. Any um, and the field gets broader and broader, as you know. Uh, any any field like tarot cards, the whole gamut. Uh, but once you start trying to access a forbidden realm and trying to access forbidden knowledge, you, you're opening yourself up to um, a demonic attachment and hence attack. And you kind of alluded to it already there in your answer, but um, in terms of what the actual effects are then, are are you noticing uh, a skew in one particular area? Does it seem to mostly be in, in the emotional realm uh, of these individuals? Is it a, a physical effect, a combination? What what have you noticed as far as the what these effects are? Um, yeah, very frequently I, I found that to, it to be emotional, but it really runs a gamut, Alex. Um, from in fact, I, I in all the case, dozens of cases I was involved in, um, there was hardly a single one where the relationship was not adversely affected by the presence of uh, the spirits that were in the house, um, and where there was you know true paranormal or supernatural activity or demonic activity. Um, the, so you got relational, got physical, emotional, financial, just really across the board. Um, the, the damage that can be done is as vast as, you know, the demonic creativity and wrecking havoc as they seek to steal, kill, and destroy. So it's pretty, pretty sobering. Yeah. And, and that really makes me think, uh, I, I know I've touched on this in, in a couple of the interviews um, so far, which is that, um, you know, the enemy has been around for a long time and is really, really good at disguising himself in a way that that is hard for people, especially in the secular community or people that are relying solely on uh you know, human, human wisdom, quote, human wisdom to detect. Um, I think that the, the enemy is smart enough to know that, um, you know, for example, like schizophrenia or hallucinations, a lot of that now can be, you know, quote, written off in the, uh, in the psychological or scientific community as simply, uh, you know, physical ailments or mental ailments. And, uh, the enemy knows that this the spiritual component of this is, is unfortunately overlooked in a lot of cases. And I think that the enemy exploits that, which is very, very unfortunate. Um, and I and I also I, I just to your point about the relationships, that was another thing that I noticed during my time, um, you know, dabbling in, in, in the occult and in the new age is that it seems like 
so many individuals that ex experiment in this realm have relational difficulties. And I think it kind of comes back to, uh, you know, what we what we find in the word of God, which is that relationships and healthy relationships are so important to, to God. And as you know, we see that in, in, in the Trinity itself. And I think that the enemy yeah. is, is so focused on, on doing whatever, uh, he can do to destroy relationships. And I, you know, I, I just saw it time and time again, just, you know, whether, whether that was friendships or, uh, um, you know, romantic relationships, they just fell apart, uh, you know, so often. And it just seemed like there was strife occurring at, at, at such a high, high level there. So I, yep. I, I appreciate you mm -hmm. saying that. That's well said, Alex. Yeah. So are you, um, aware of any of these effects then overlapping with with uh people in the christian community uh or, or is this kind of just um solely delegated delegated to people that um are going into these investigations kind of unarmed so to speak and they don't really know what they're getting into well it it'd be disingenuous for me to to say that christian deliverance ministers exorcists whatever you you know want to call them um are immune to um, attacks, but it's um, though though we do have the armor of God, um, God in His mysterious good providence um, sometimes does allow um, folks who get involved in frontline ministry um, who have really a target on their back, you know. Um, to for them and their loved ones to experience weird things you know um, things that go bump in the night um, and to sometimes get scratched or or something you know something something like that uh, but generally speaking um, the armor of god will protect but the more i guess the more a person gets immersed into more serious type cases like exorcisms, which I was never, I only did one or two, involved in one or two of those. And uh, a lot of uh, oppression cases, which really borderline possession. But um, uh, to answer your question, yeah, um, to be, be honest, uh, there, there are times where I have, and I know most people who are on the front line um, get some some kind of uh, reminder, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, somebody doesn't like them. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as these effects themselves, then, um, in your experience, how do people recover from them, from them, or or do they do they often recover from them? What's your research shown you? Yeah. Um, Gosh, we could do a long thing about that with, with your background in Reiki, because I know some people have a healing, but it comes at a high cost. Um, some people are, um, it's different for different people, Alex. I, I, some some people are who, who develop uh, problems, heart problems. Um, I've known a fair number of people who are on the front lines of deliverance ministry who develop heart problems. And I just so happened I had heart problems before I got even involved. 
but um, in in the name of Jesus, um, once that demonic attachment is gone, then it can range in gradations from instant healing, full instant healing, to gradual full healing, to partial healing, to God and his providence allowing whatever it was that um, ailment that came along to stay. Because um, so, sometimes it gets hazy, and you alluded to this, is the devil can um, and his minions can piggyback on real emotional and physical ailments, just like we see in the Bible at times. So sometimes it's hard to uh, extricate, um, you know, true uh, organic schizophrenia, for example, from a demonic uh, originated one. And so that, that's the tactic I have found is that they can just take a pre-existing condition um, and and cause it to to worsen. And um, so it, it all, it's, it's person specific really. Um, but it, it's, it's through Christ for there to be true lasting healing though, Alex. Yeah, well said. And I'm so happy that you uh, took the time today to talk to us about this, because I think that this is something, um, as I think I, I alluded to it earlier, is so it's, it's, it's so um, underreported, it seems like, especially in the, in the paranormal community, it seems like uh, so much of what goes on there is, is, it's 95% of it is focused on the, uh, the fun, the quote, the fun that can be had from it and kind of the thrill seeking aspects of it. But these, you know, these really important issues, uh, these effects seem to be very, um, kind of just tossed away on, under the rug, so to speak. And, and I think that we need to do whatever we can to kind of get the word out there more that this is, you know, this is, this is serious here. This is not just, this is not just going out to a, you know, to a sporting event. This is that you're, you, once you start messing it w- with the spiritual realm, um, that, you know, a lot of serious things can happen and that's not, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I just think that we are as, as a society really underselling, uh, the, the true nature of what's going on here. And even myself, just as a, a, a small example here, um, you know, ev- even since I've started doing these, these interviews for the podcast, I've even noticed a couple of things happen myself. I've had a, a cupboard uh, open and, and shut by behind me on its own. Um, I had, uh, I, I, and I was fully awake at night when this happened. I, I had a, a whistling, uh, sounded like from a man come from, from another room um, twice. And when I went and, and at first I thought maybe there was something in the room that could have caused that. And, and it turns out that there wasn't. And I went, uh, the next, it was the next couple of days on, on YouTube just to, to see what other, you know, quote ghosts or, you know, as we, as we've discussed earlier, that what demonic whistling sounds like. And it was the exact same whistle that I, that I heard in the other room. So, um, I've, I've had a few of these, of, of these instances myself since just starting this. And, um, I'm just, I just think it's interesting because when I came into this interview with you, I wasn't thinking about myself as it relates to the, this phenomena and these effects. And while, um, you know, it, it might be a little bit different than what we talked about today in terms of some of these, 
emotional or physical effects, um, there is it, it. It definitely appears as if there's there's something going on on the other side that doesn't appreciate what's going on, and that's okay because as, you know we as as you, you and I both know that uh, the blood of Christ is stronger than that, and the Creator of all, uh, including the enemy, is stronger than that. But just some just some really interesting uh, effects going on and. I just want people to know again, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I just really think it's important to, to show the, the, uh, a holistic, uh, framework of, of what is going, what can happen if you get into the, the spiritual realm. Uh, so that's, I, that's I, interesting, Alex. I, yeah. uh, it does, it does not surprise me a bit that you've experienced exactly what you said. Um, um, God giving them just a, you know, the, the devil is God's devil, uh, and he's on God's chain. But Absolutely. He's still a roaring lion, and um, if, we, um, if we start to expose what I think uh, is one of his most effective deceptive tactics, namely the paranormal in general and ghosts in particular, then... Um, he's not. He's not going to appreciate that, because he knows that the truth will set people free, and deception um, enslaves people. So, yeah, it's uh, doesn't surprise me that you've had a cupboard or two, yeah, or a whistle or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, moving on then to our our second topic which is uh, a topic that you cover very extensively uh, both in your, in your book, seeing ghosts through God's eyes and also on your YouTube channel. And we'll, we'll, we'll uh, share at the end of this where everybody can, can uh, access both the book and the, in the YouTube channel. Um, we're we're going to talk about residual hauntings and uh, just for, you know, I'm sure that there are many people are already familiar with, with the, the term residual haunting, but for those who aren't, can you, can you kind of give us a, a brief uh, understanding of what a residual haunting is? Yeah, yeah. I approached this with, I had to kind of reread my own book. <laughs> uh, so I approached it with fear and trembling because it's, uh, I want I really want to do this uh, and really adequately. And I, I think I did about, ten, I think I did about 10 episodes that are uh, on different aspects of it on, on my YouTube channel. But here we go. Um, just as far as introduction, Alex, to what residual haunts are, um, residual haunts, uh, come about through residual energy. The residual energy is the cause and the haunt is the effect. Um, we all know that you, uh, for there to be an effect, there has to be an antecedent cause. So in, in this situation where, and, and the reason why it's significant and why I wrote about it just briefly in my book is because at least for, for many paranormal investigators, um, they would say that the majority of haunts, um, there's four kinds of haunts, the intelligent ghost haunt, residual haunt, poltergeist, and demonic. And the residual haunt is really not a paranormal, it's not really not paranormal, supernatural. It's said to be um, purely um, natural forces at work. So 
here here's here's the picture of 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 just the in, initial definition for because I appreciate the fact that you don't want to assume any prior knowledge um, and just refresh people's memories, including my own. <laughs> and that is that uh, residual energy is said, it's the hypothesis in the paranormal community that at moments of high tension or emotional energy, uh, for example, during uh, a murder, be a extreme example uh that this energy would um make an imprint uh on the surrounding environment it would cluster there and then it some prodding which we'll talk about i think shortly would then cause a um a haunting which would it's kind of like a tape recorder playing back so there you have the residual energy that is being imprinted on the environment from some traumatic event or some high energy event doesn't have to be traumatic but and then this would then lead to a haunting which could be apparitional or it could be smells it could be bells the sound of a gunshot could be you know virtually anything so that's that's it in a simple nutshell Does that make sense that was yeah very well said and i think you you uh encompassed a lot there and the answer that was both very informational but also brief so i appreciate that um and and this next question actually kind of brings us back to to your uh your book and kind of really right away throws throws a wrench in uh, in what you you kind of described there with the general definition of, of uh, residual haunting as it's uh, talked about in the paranormal community, which is that when these, quote, residual hauntings are confronted in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, something happens, from what I understand, Mark. And, and can you kind of elaborate on, on that? Yes. That's something that was... Um that that is empirically verifiable. And that's something that uh, I believe at near the end of the book, I challenge people gently to uh, check it out. Um, and that is that if you have a true paranormal haunting, supernatural haunting, and it's, if it's, people think it's residual though, 100 out of 100, times if you rebuke it in the name of jesus this supposed non-intelligent residual energy will suddenly become very intelligent agitated and um depending upon the situation will either attack or leave but yeah it's uh it does not jive with um paranormal communities uh, idea of what residual energy is. It'd be sort of like saying me talking to the uh, space heater, the energy that's coming out of it and saying, name Jesus, stop. And it's stopping, you know, it's because it's just pure energy, right? Right. And, and that's all residual energy is put, it's said to be is just pure energy playing back. So, yeah, it, rebuking 
energy in the name of Jesus should not have any effect unless, unless it's a demon. And I just, that's why I'm just absolutely convinced 100% that there's no such thing as residual energy because any, every single time, and I'm talking almost a hundred cases, um, and almost every, almost every time going in, the clients thought that at least in part, if not mainly, it was residual. And, but when it was, um, rebuked in the name of Christ, it, uh, either, it either made itself known, uh, or it, I have found that when I, you know, rebuke things or something like that, they don't always scream and make their, their presence known in wild and crazy ways, Hollywood style, but they get gone or sometimes they do. You see a shadow fly out the door. Uh, or through the ceiling or something like that, or a uh, dark, uh, or I mean, a hot wind or something like that, um, some kind of uh, sign of their exiting. So, yeah, it shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, all of a sudden, this, this uh, quote, non-intelligent energy starts to, as you said, attack uh, just at, just at the, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, this... Again, I kind of like we were talking about before, just really understated in the, and, and very sadly understated in the paranormal community. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it kind of uh, playing back into what we were talking about before, too, when, uh, as far as the nature of the residual haunting. Um, many times it's reported that these hauntings, uh, the energy itself somehow remembers important dates. Uh, or emits smells, uh, or or just has ha, displays other uh, types of in what you would assume to come from some uh, something with intelligence. So uh, can can you just kind of expand on a little bit of of what that means in terms of the the residual haunting itself, how it might not be exactly uh, what the what the paranormal community might say it is, it kind of relates yeah. to what your hypothesis is. I'll, I'll try to keep this one. Um short as well okay and and you can probe further if if, uh, if you desire uh, anniversaries have no ontology no being they're nothing no you got me wrong anniversaries are important but you know you get what i'm saying an anniversary has no ontological status this is not it's not something that can be measured or weighed is it, it is in one sense nothing is it is a mem memorable date to two or more people um so it can't act as a uh physical trigger to uh, supposedly to uh, how how could something that's nothing trigger energy to a rat summon itself to um, on a yearly or annual basis to put on a sound a light show um, when it's in like I said it has no ontological status it's just a date um, in people's minds. Um, that's the short answer for that. 
we can go off in different directions. I will, I, let me throw this out too, though. Sure. If you if you think about, well, let me come back to this because when, when we talk about uh, thermodynamics and uh, uh, residual energy, yeah, maybe hold on sure. On that. Well, another another aspect of the residual haunting uh, that ties back to that definition that we, we, we started off with is the idea that these residual hauntings are caused by a traumatic event that happens uh, in the environment at some point in history. Um, but there's an interesting caveat here, which is that many of these residual hauntings that are reported are, are, are not traumatic events. They're actually like people walking through a room um, or, you know, sometimes it's just people maybe dancing or something like that. Can you, yeah. So can you kind of explain what, what's going on there? Yeah, that's problematic for traditional ghost theory, which is typically said that the primary reason why a, a, a human being would become earthbound is because of what we talked about last time, some traumatic death, um, unfinished business, um, uh, let's see, premature, premature death, that, that type of thing. And uh, really emo some emotional, deeply emotional aspects uh, related to a person's death. And, but as, as you point out, Many of the recordings, um, audio and video, are of very mundane activities. And uh, I remember a guy named, forgive me if I mispronounce his name, from Ghost Village, Jeff Belanger. Belanger? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, he's uh, one authority I could appeal to, but it's not just him. I've seen it myself and lot of uh, evidence that I've come across uh, and, and that is that the activity that's been caught on tape has seemingly nothing nothing to do with any d traumatic death or even death at all it's just like, like you mentioned people just walking around um, like they're doing their daily chores in the kitchen and so that throws a wrench uh, or, or at least gives pause to one of the most basic of, of, of um, ghost theory for, uh, formation right so that's uh, I'll leave it I'll leave it at that it's a good question and it's it's, it's, it's just simply problematic because it goes against the grain of you wouldn't expect it and um, I'm not sure if you were about to ask this, but the the thing is, is that the vast majority of the vast, vast, vast majority of traumatic deaths do not, I repeat, do not result in the leaving behind of some kind of imprint, which then results in a haunting. Because people die and are dying every day, where we have little children, um, the unborn being killed every day by the thousands and the millions each each year. Um, I can't think of a more traumatic event in God's eyes. 
than that. And that should, in every case, if ghost theory is true, um, leave some kind of traumatic uh, residual energy uh, at that uh, abortion clinic. And because uh, that's the most defenseless of, uh, of people. So, um, there's forgiveness for all in Jesus, but um, uh, I guess that's it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's actually where I was going with that. Um, and you would think that if this was something that was, you know, as many in the paranormal community claim, uh, to be, which is something that we can kind of measure in a, uh, uh, a scientific way or not quite a scientific way, but a, uh, uh, forgive me, I'm forgetting the term right now. Is it para, is it parapsychological, mm. parapsychologist? Um, yes. yeah, if, if, if you could measure it in, in that way, you would expect for there to be more, uh, continuity here as it relates to the traumatic events and, and what causes a residual haunting, but there seems to be no rhyme or reason. And in terms of the unfortunate nature of, of reality, which is that there, like you said, there are very many traumatic events that happen on a, on a daily basis. And, and, and it's, it, it's almost, it seems to be that almost none of these cases quote cause a, a residual haunting. So, uh, just, just, uh, some really, really interesting, uh, food for thought. And, and I'm really happy. Yeah, that I mean, how, how can you, sorry, go ahead. Jack, but uh, how can you posit something? How how can we posit something as a, as a scientific theory that, in the vast majority of cases, doesn't even hold true in, in the in the lab of laboratory of life? Right, right, hundred percent. And um, another aspect of this is the period clothing that many people uh, now report in these residual hauntings. You know, period clothing is many times is as in uh, Victorian era clothing that that these uh, entities are presenting during these residual haunts. However, you you make an, a, a really interesting point on your YouTube channel, and you, you state that actually, to, according to one study, period style clothing wasn't even seen in these uh, uh, quote residual hauntings until about a hundred years ago. Can you kind of explain that. Yeah, what, uh, well, only if you'll help me out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Uh, I want to work work together with you on this one. Uh -huh. Because um, as far as I know, <clears throat> it only came. I only mentioned that um, um, not as kind of proof. It was it was just sort of an aside. Uh, I forget where I even mentioned it, um, but. I thought it was interesting enough to at least um, add to the accumulating evidence. Um, the people seemed, I can't, like I said, I can't even remember the group, but they seemed to be very uh, intelligent and, um, you know, competent. And uh, the, the claim that they made was that, um, up to a hundred years ago, um, people when when there was an apparition, it, that apparition would generally appear in the clothes of the era that that the, the people were living in at that time. But for some reason, that uh, 
that policy or that practice change. Yeah. yeah. And, and if ghosts are what people say they are, earthbound spirits, then that should not. I mean, who's dictating clothing, apparel? For, right. Is right. It, or, is, or is it the devil who's picking up on the fact that um, people are just finding Victorian ghosts to be a little bit more attractive or exciting or something along those lines? And that's really as far as I, I, I can take it, Alex, because I, I only got it from that one article. I don't know. If it, I mean, it has the ring of truth to it, but whether whether it's really how much truth there is to it, I honestly don't know. Um, I'd like to do more research on that one. Um, but you got any thoughts on it? Because I'd like to see what you think. Yeah, I, and I appreciate your transparency on that. It's a, it's a really really interesting uh, uh, anecdote there, and I think there is a lot of truth to it because a couple things. One is that I'm pretty sure, it, I, you know, I had listened to thousands of hours of, of, uh, probably thousands of hours of material on the paranormal before I, I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm pretty sure at some point when I was listening to some of that material that I had heard that come up from the, the paranormal, the paranormal community, uh, the idea that it wasn't until recently as we started to see in the paranormal investigations, um, Victorian era clothing be the the main the, the mainstay there as a, as it relates to ghost investigations. And from what I understand, there before be, before this there there was never anything. Um, there was never an, an equivalent. It, it, I'm I'm pretty sure that they they've touched on this, and I and I've never seen anything that would prove that there was an equivalent. Like you know, and 100 years ago, it wasn't like they were seeing uh, ghosts from the the 1700s or you know, and and it, and it goes on. And um, this also makes me think a little bit too about what's going on right now as, as it relates to uh, as it relates to the UNO, UFO phenomenon, because this is another phenomena here that didn't really start until recently and not until oh, I was like the last really, you know, 70 years or so when it when it started to, to really pick up. And of course, it happened to coincide when humans uh humanity started to become more invested in exploring space and starting to send uh ships out into space and you know before this it, it seemed like a lot of the uh what we what we now find in, in quote ufo encounters was happening in in different aspects like uh you know different monsters i think about or different different aspects of folklore um you know it's, especially it seems like Oh, like, uh, you know, different types of cryptids or like fairies and, and things like that were really the, the, the popular thing for a long time uh, in, in terms of what happened in these supernatural encounters. But now it's really shifted to uh, aliens. And I think that that really plays to your, your point, Mark, and talking about what is going to be the most uh, uh, kind of the, 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 the most appealing for the average person as they're delving into. Uh, these paranormal events or the supernatural, because uh, I, I think that uh, the devil, he's, he knows that the, the, w humans were created in a sense that we need, we, we, we long for a spiritual, uh, a spiritual life. And if, if we don't fill that ourselves, he's going to try to fill that for us 
through some of these uh, paranormal encounters or taking us on a, on a long winding trail to, to quote, find the truth, whether that be in aliens or some of these ghosts, these residual haunting encounters, because what it does is it feeds into a part a part of our being that wants more. We want to know why we're here. So, you know, most humans want to know why we're here. Why, what, what happens to us when we die? What's the nature of reality? What's the meaning of life? And a lot of these, a lot of these encounters claim to have the answer or at least can get you to the answer or at least provide part of the answer. So I, I just have, think, have you and, noticed the evolution, the evolution of, of, um, the, uh, UFOs that they used to be from Mars, but since yeah, we yeah. Now, but since we now know something about Mars, they're no longer from Mars anymore. Great point. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, 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 I think that that speaks to exactly what we're talking about. I just see yeah. the, the goalposts just keep, keep to be sh uh, shifting uh, more and more as the, as time passes. And um, unless you're, unless you're really aware and, and focusing on this, it's hard to notice it because so many people are just so they're so focused. And I understand why, because I used to be one of them. You're so focused on the, the, the supernatural aspect of it or the, or the, you know, the magic of it, the, the thrill of it, that you kind of lose yeah. sight of what, of, of, of some of the facts here. So I don't mean to, uh, you know, uh, put, you know, put anybody, put anybody down or, 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 or say anybody is less than because that's what they are. You know, that's who, that's their background that they come from, that they, they're someone that likes to investigate these things. I'm just saying that I think it's important to really take a step back if we can, and take a look at the at the whole picture uh, as it relates to to what it is that's going on at, 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 from from a historical standpoint, not just what's going on right now uh, in the in the nature of the paranormal. So, re really, yeah, in the, really interesting. The, 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 yeah, the evolution of both uh, UFOs, aliens, and ghosts. Um, demons learn from us, and they they are the supreme opportunistic predators. And they know and are students of what our beliefs and practices are. And if they can piggyback on what we believe and they know, as you mentioned, um, you didn't use a term, but you stated it more clearly probably than I will, is that uh, we are made homo religiosus, which means that we simply have a God-shaped um, hole in our soul. As St. Augustine said that, God, you made us for yourself, and um, we, are, we are restless until we find our rest in thee. And we people in the Western materialistic world are looking for magic, not necessarily with the K, you know, just looking mm -hmm. for something, some supernatural reality and so hence they'll go off looking for bigfoot or ufos uh, ghosts that type of thing because it it temporarily gives a thrill and taps into kind of gives an electrical charge to that uh, visceral desire for spiritual reality yeah mm -hmm. Uh, you you kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, one of the most interesting parts of your, uh, I think you mentioned this in the book, and you definitely mentioned it on your YouTube channel, 
of your look into the residual haunt is looking at it from the vantage point of thermodynamics. Um, so can you kind of go into a little bit of that for us? How, how does thermodynamics, how do, how, how do thermodynamics come into play here with residual hauntings? Okay. Well, let me give an illustration first before I forget. Sure. Um, what is the greatest display of energy in, in nature? It's lightning, right? Uh-huh. About a million volts, as I, as I understand it. I may yeah. be wrong, but it's somewhere around there. Once, once lightning strikes a tree, let's say in your front yard, how, how many seconds to, does it take for, after lightning strikes that tree to pass for you to be able to touch that tree without being um, electrocuted? After a million volts hit it, uh, I I'm actually I actually don't know. I I thought it was pretty quick. Is it is it not? Does it take a little no, while? I, I, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. Oh, probably, oh okay. Probably, probably about one second, if less. Okay. Uh -huh. So my point that was my entree. You, if you have a million volts to hit something, and it dissipates that quickly, to where you can touch the dang thing. A second later and maybe feel a little warmth in it <laughs> yeah. but not get, not get shocked your hair your hair not stand on end right um then that that that's kind of my entree to thermodynamics um another illustration would be if you take a glass of water right and a clear glass of water and you put a drop or two of red food coloring in it and you set it down carefully. I, I did this in one of my uh, YouTube videos to illustrate thermodynamics and not agitate it. Don't shake it at all. Just gently put it down. What you'll notice without shaking or anything like that is within two or three minutes, it will those two or three drops will have dispersed throughout the entire container. And what that illustrates is the second and third laws of thermodynamics. Now, paranormal investigators are quick to appeal to the first law of thermodynamics to affirm their ghost theory. That's the law of conservation. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can be evolved into, into different forms, but it can't be created or destroyed. However, what they frequently um, overlook or don't take into uh, much consideration as they should is the second and third laws, and that is entropy, the second law, that as soon as the uh, energy is let out of the container, uh, then it will immediately start to dissipate. And then the third law is that um, it will dissipate until equilibrium, like in the, in the uh, glass. However, in this case, imagine if you put two or three drops in the ocean is uh, are, is it is it destroyed 
is that food coloring that you put in the ocean story? No, no, not, not really, but it is so incredibly watered down in the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean that it is virtually destroyed. It's, you know, it is, it's not usable, uh, right. right? It's so dispersed. And so the, the idea of the second law of thermodynamics and why it undercuts and why I think it it uh, contravenes the notion of residual energy and thus residual haunts is that it's considered by most scientists to be an absolute law, no known exceptions. Um, and that is the idea that once the... <clears throat> Once energy is emitted from its container, then it cannot remain clustered. It cannot remain clustered. It must begin, begin entropy immediately. And um, unless it's exercised upon by some outside force. And so, and then it would... Uh, dissipate into equilibrium. So if you take a, a, a typical paranormal case in which, let's say it's Gettysburg again, which we mentioned last time, what's the, uh, um, what's the container, so to speak? Well, if you, if you have a, let's, let's assume ghost theory for a, a second, okay? You sure. got an 18, 18 year old boy who dies a premature a horrific death, unfinished business, all, it fits all the criteria, uh, the death criteria. So hence you supposedly have residual energy causing holographic images of, of um, Civil War soldiers running through the woods, which would outdo anything that we, we have in, in CG and, and uh, holographic imagery uh, by man-made intelligence. Uh, all because of supposedly what happens is that when this energy, um, as we talked about earlier, is emitted during a time of high emotion, it supposedly sticks to the environment, let's say a rock. Well, according to the same law of thermodynamics, it can't do that. It can't because all energy. Uh, and, and by the way, emotional energy is not a form of no, of known energy. There's like um, six forms of, of energy, as I recall. But emotional energy is is not one. It's one that was created by the paranormal community. Uh, there's true emotions and there's true energy, but there's no such thing as emotional energy uh, that can be emitted and then clusterized um, in in an environment and that's just totally assumed by people when when it's utterly utterly contrary to the second and third laws of, of their thermodynamics which state that any energy if there was any energy that was emitted during um this act of uh, you know traumatic act then that energy whatever it was should have dissipated immediately, just like that lightning. 
And if, again, a million volts dissipates in a second, then this emotional energy, how little it is, is you can poof, you know, it should, should be gone. It's like, it's like the food coloring in the ocean. Uh, because the con- the container in this case is not a, a little glass; it's it's the entire atmosphere, hundred miles high, and goes around the whole globe, and uh, so forth. And if people say, "Well, you know, if it, it got deposited in the stream because paranormal activity and residual activity is highlighted by by streams as such," well, streams tend to move by definition, mm-hmm. and if a death happened two feet off the side of a bridge, then that energy, again, following ghost logic, if it dropped into the water, it's downstream, (laughs) you know, Um, a a couple of miles, you know, within two or three hours. So the point is just, is simple, but hopefully, hopefully it's profound and, I'm trying to stay it in a way that that uh, a lay person like myself can understand, because uh, I'm not a scientist, but I have studied philosophy and logic, and so I know I can study propositions and see if people are making proper deductions from the evidence. And so I have seen no. I haven't seen I haven't seen anybody respond to my arguments thus far. Um, uh, if they have, I, I just haven't seen it. They may have. I, uh, the one person uh, I mentioned, uh, but he did he didn't mention anything about the uh, thermodynamics that I recall. But that's that's it in a nutshell. Is that if you think of the second and third laws of thermodynamics, it's, it's antithetical to the whole notion of residual energy and thus residual haunts. They, they just cannot jive with each other. Does that make sense, Al? So should I say it another way? No, no, that makes that makes really good sense to me. And again, I think you did a great job of explaining in a way that is both informational, but also is in a way that, you know, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm pretty far, far away from that, but I, I followed exactly what you're saying. And I think it's also just, uh, I just want to commend you again for taking a look at it from this vantage point, because this is something that I had never heard of before. Uh, I, I stumbled upon your book and again, I've, I've had a lot of time and, and spent a lot of time studying the paranormal and, just a really interesting vantage point, different way to look at it. And I think it really lends to your, your point as well, just as that if, if, if uh, you know, these laws are being violated here, then the only thing I could think of that, that would, that would allow that to happen is some kind of an X factor, another variable, which I think would very, very likely show that there's some kind of an intelligence here um, as what we've been talking about, obviously. So um, uh, just really just a, really powerful way, I think, to look at it. And um, you mentioned uh, this, some, something as it relates to the, the residual haunting being cast into stone. And I know you've also touched on the, on specifically limestone in your videos, YouTube videos. 
um, and as it relates to limestone, because limestone from the paranormal community's uh, way of looking at it seems to be uh, a particular stone that really is good at absorbing this energy uh, for residual hauntings. However, we you you are really astute to point out that if this were the case, then you would expect for these pieces of limestone that are supposedly grafted to this residual energy to be able to replicate some of this residual uh, phenomenon in a lab setting, but that hasn't happened uh, as far as I know ever. And so have you, you, you had mentioned that you hadn't heard any responses as it relates to the, the law of thermodynamics. Has, has anybody responded to the, the uh, really good claim that you made about the, the limestone uh, uh, as, as it relates to not being replicated in a lab? No. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, well, not, 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 not that I know of. Okay, Alex. Uh -huh. If you take, if you take, for example, um, I wanted to come back to this, but if you take the limestone theory, um, not all paranormal people buy into um, it. Limestone being the primary conductor of residual energy, but a lot do but let's say you you cut away a big piece of what is you know known to be um a wall that was associated with horrible things that happened in the castle right, right. um and um you bring it into a lab and it does have i'm not sure i'm pronouncing this the right piezoelectric um qualities which just means it can, you know, transmit electricity or, you know, vibrate. Um, but that doesn't have any bearing on its ability to clusterize energy. But my point, Alex, that you were alluding to is that if this was a scientific hypothesis and the limestone was containing this clustered energy, then you would think that some kind of electrical prods attached to it, electrodes, positive and negative on each side, or, you know, something more complicated, should be able to replicate what is said to be 100% physical phenomenon. There's nothing paranormal, they say, about these residual things. It's purely a physical phenomenon. And when people start trying to explain the mystery of it by appealing to to par the paranormal laws, um, they're uh, a special pleading because this is no, no, no. This is this is said to be totally a, a natural phenomenon. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't know of it, anybody attempting or. Um, explaining um, how that uh, why it can't be replicated and you know when the thing starts to accumulate like that where you can't replicate it in the in the lab and most of the traumatic events don't turn into haunts in the laboratory of life at some point you, you begin to scratch your head and say you know this is we need to stop start thinking um uh, that this is beginning to look like a um, 
a Ptolemaic system, just too many problems. You know, we need a Copernican revolution in how we view uh, this this energy, you know, and but people are averse to and are wedded to their beliefs, which I know you're going to get to in a moment. Yeah, yeah. And um, right before we do, uh, another interesting aspect of this is many of the people that we have been talking about here as it relates to the paranormal community, um, they do believe in demons. And that's interesting because many of the people that do believe in demons also believe in the, the deceptive nature of demons and their ability to mimic uh, other phenomena. Uh, so I'm wondering if you have heard uh, from the paranormal side of things, the community there, uh, how, how do they distinguish then between a residual haunt and a uh, uh, manifestation as, as it relates to uh, demonic being? Is, it, is there any way to distinguish there between the two in, in the paranormal community's eyes that you've heard of? Yes, yes. Actually, I wrote down um, nine, if I can read them off real quickly. Yes. Okay. And this, this would go not only uh, residual versus um, demonic, but they're trying to distinguish between residual and just intelligent in general. So that would include ghosts, right? So we're kind of killing right. two birds with one stone. And so I actually have one video entitled Problems Distinguishing Between Intelligent and Residual Haunts. And so one, the first way, Alex, that um, many folks, dear folks in, in the paranormal community to try to distinguish between the, the two is via, EV, EV, via EVP or its equivalent. Take the uh, flashlight uh, uh, test or, you know, that type of thing. And if there is an intelligent reply, then obviously it's intelligent, which means it may be demonic or may be, a, you know, a ghost. Um, you, you have to remember, I think that for most paranormal investigators, not all, but most um, assume that it's not demonic unless proven otherwise, which is sad. Um, because you have, because you then have to bend over backwards to uh, give give evidence that shouldn't shouldn't have to be given. But anyway, okay. So if you have EV, if if you have an EVP that doesn't sound very convincing or if it's garbled or doesn't make any sense, then that's automatically or frequently considered out of the gate to be residual. The problem with that is, what if you, what if a person? Well, you almost have to be omniscient uh, about the the history of of the um, house you're um, in, investigating to not know for sure that that comment doesn't have some kind of meaning. For example, I gave this um, one, and that is that um, suppose a person goes into a house. And they ask the question, uh, who used to live here? Um, no answer. And then uh, five minutes later, they get an EVP that says AC power. 
And they scratched their head and they said, that's, that's residual. That may, may, makes no doggone sense. But then they turn around. Uh, when they've done history on the house, they realized that Tesla, who created AC Energy, stayed, had stayed there for a few months. Hmm. So, again, you, this is an example. You, got, you almost have to be omniscient to deny that um, or be, to be utterly certain that all EVPs that don't um, don't seem on the surface to be uh, intelligent, you know, may have a law of intelligent behind, intelligence behind them after all. Okay, then the second one I find a little more humorous, and that is that um, moving cold spots versus stationary cold spots. That is, a, a moving cold spot is indicative of an intelligent haunt, whereas a stationary cold spot is indicative of residual energy. Now, I want to ask a simple question, brother. I know you're intelligent. You're very intelligent. You are sitting still right now, right? That's right. You, you are. You're, we're both sitting still. That's right. But I assume that we're both intelligent. That's right. right. That's right. I, that's so, I had never, I never heard of that. So it's possible. It's possible to be. It's possible to remain still and still be intelligent. I so, I hope so. So My to goodness. use that as a test it just it just makes me laugh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is. So, fascinating. I mean, I never I'm sorry for laughing. I mean, not laughing at them. It was so. It's possible to be intelligent and to stand still too, um, and to bring it to seriousness for a demon right. to have right. a stationary cold spot. All right. Then thirdly, uh, there, and this just it kind of shows how there's no uniformity to tests for. Uh, whether or not something is intelligent, but for many people, if you if you hear footsteps or knocks, um, that's residual. And I just scratch my head and I'm thinking, what? I mean, that's often the case for the beginnings of a very very intelligent call. Um, but I know other people who would take it the other way, so I'll just move on. The fourth uh, test would be, are these paranormal phenomena, say like the doors opening, is it, is it a regular pad and a regular basis? Most people thrive on, on you know, having some kind of schedule. And so, you know, a regular pattern is something, if there's like at three o'clock in the morning knockings on, uh, triple knock. Um, that's another thing, but me, to me, it's not persuasive. Um, and then orbs, good old orbs. Again, this is this one is is up for up for grabs because I know some paranormal investigators. Um, and I'm talking about you know not just a, a, what's obvious dust, but something that's really weird looking seems to be emitting its own. Um, light source and um 
some will autom automatically assume that 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 is a uh, evidence of, of of intelligence. Others will automatically assume it's residual. I remember watching a TV show. I won't mention the guy's name. Uh, I respect him, and uh, he was a Christian. But there was all this, all this evidence, Alex. Of I can't remember all because it's been years, but it was. Um, just a multiplicity of evidence of, of demonic presence and activity. But just because an orb flew in front of the the screen, he snapped his finger and said, residual. And I said, okay. <laughs> gotcha. Wow. And then other people will do the, do the um, appeal to, I've been doing this for 30 or 40 years. <laughs> and so therefore I can, I can just tell, you know, I can just tell that uh, I have this ability to discern uh, the difference between negative and positive spirits or intelligent or non-intelligent spirits. And um, again, I don't like to use the word negative. We are living in a sentimental age where we don't like to use the word like evil. Um, they're evil spirits, not negative spirits. But anyway, it this is one field, Alex, one field where longevity of experience does not equal wisdom. Um, because the longer a person is disobeying God's moral law, and plunging into the paranormal realm, the more their discerning abilities is being turned inside out. And that's, that's just a sad fact. And um, so instead of 40 years experience giving you greater wisdom, it tends to lead to, to actually less wisdom because you become more in, ensconced, more deceived, more mentally blinded by the evil one. And hence, uh, just so again, this, that doesn't work. That one doesn't work either. And see what else. Uh, yeah, mediums. Um, some people will appeal to mediums to. To, to determine whether or not something is residual or demonic or just uh, intelligent. Um, but we have to remember, Alex, that demons are the, ma the masters of the psychic airways, not mediums. Demons are the masters of the psychic airways. And, the, and as I said earlier, they're the supreme oppor opportunistic predators and they prey upon our beliefs and our practices um, of, of the investigators and um, so they'll uh, they'll work with people's uh, ideas and then try to mimic them to um, put into the medium's minds um, what what they want, 
you know they can they can funnel into the medium's minds um, ideas uh, mental images and so on and they can go on all day long uh, familiar spirits um, as some of these demons are called you know can be communicating with with the mediums and trying to uh, again deceive the paranormal investigators because they're they're supposed mediums are supposedly the the um the last line of defense right um they're they are the the supposed masters of discerning or in fact like i said it's the demon demons who are the masters of the psychic airwaves and not psychics um, they've been around a long long time and they know how to to uh in, to do that and then, then lastly, um, if if paranormal investigators assume or presuppose that the presence of the demonic must be accompanied with sulfur smells, intensified rage, crucifixes flying across the room, um, that type of thing, Hollywood stuff. Then they're they're going then they're they're going to be misled as well because like we talked about last time there can be what I call a happy haunt it's not really happy but on the surface it's happy but there is that cancerous spiritually cancerous presence there um, without all the smells and bells of the Hollywood version of what we think of, you know, when there's a uh, possession, uh, when there's a true full-blown possession, you can expect some crazy, crazy stuff to go on. Um, but there's like three stages. You have an infestation, oppression, and then possibly possession. So, um, but, you know, if you're going to assume that there's going to be just these Hollywood effects, then you're going to be led astray because they can, they can, you know, we talked about it last time, second is 11, 14 of the Satan appearing as the angel of light. And he doesn't have to have smell like sulfur. He can, he can bring the literally the smell of roses and um, all that glitters is not gold in the paranormal realm. And like, what he desires is the opposite of shalom. He'll bring, uh, you know, hell on hell on earth, uh, eventually. But in the meantime, he can make it seem, like we said, happy and holy. Um, seem that way. So many people have been deceived by, as I keep saying, we cannot accurately identify. A, a paranormal entity by um, observation. We cannot accurately identify a supernatural entity just by observation because of the um, angel of light principle. So if he can appear as an angel of light, he can appear as a little child or anything else. Hmm. Or an orb or you know, shadow figure or anything else. 
Well, some really, really, really uh, pivotal points to Mark and I, and I appreciate you sharing those, those with us. And I just want to really highlight uh, the fact that I think it's interesting and, and really uh, in some ways uh, uh, almost admirable in a way that, that people that have investigated this have been able to, to uh, come to these, these terms as it relates to the, the paranormal. Because like you said, there's a lot of, there's a lot uh, going on here and this is a phenomenon that we can't, we can't really uh, have. It's very hard to get a grasp of the, of the paranormal and the fact that people have done enough investigation that they, that they've been able to come up with these different uh, ways to categorize these uh, quote haunted uh, encounters, these, these uh, paranormal investigations. Um, I, I, I appreciate where they're coming from because they're, they're, you know, they're coming, they're, they're trying to come at it from a, from a place of help and they're trying to, uh, you know, kind of come at it from a scientific background. However, I, you, you had mentioned this, uh, especially at the, at the beginning, at the end of those nine points, which is that even as good as all that sounds, uh, this is, if, if the demonic is real, as many of these people believe, uh, many paranormal investigators, um, and the, the, the demonic has the ability to mimic any of those, any type of haunt, then really there, there, there's really almost no way to distinguish between the demonic and a, a ghost or a, uh, a residual haunting. Really any, a, dem, a demonic being can, can be a substitute for any of those different encounters. And, and just, just the fact that it can happen one out of, uh, you know, let's say a million times, I think already is, 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 uh, concerning enough as it relates to trying to categorize these experiences in, in the paranormal. Um, it, it, it's just so hard to, to, uh, figure out, you know, something that we, the paranormal is so hard to, to get a grasp on because I, obviously you and I believe that we're not, we're not supposed to dabble in this. And when you're dealing with d- demonic beings that have been here for at least, thousands of years and, and, and have incredible intelligence and are, uh, you know, have, have much more experience than, than us mortal humans that only live for maybe, you know, 70, 80 years. Um, you're dealing with something that is very, very good at, at accomplishing their goal, which is mimicry and deceiving. So, um, I just yeah. think it's, uh, again, just unfortunate that this isn't touched on more the, the idea of this mimicry aspect of the demonic realm and, and, uh, just, just really thankful that we have have a chance to, to cover it here. Yeah, me, mimicry is such a key word, Alex. They, they, um, if I may interject this, is you know they were around a hundred years ago. Um, so some people, you know, the um, the better paranormal investigators, they'll they'll have a historical team. You know, they'll come in and do a history on the house and. Just think what happens. Um, the demons were around a hundred or around a hundred years ago. They knew they knew the grandparents, the great grandparents, what they looked like, what they sounded like, what they talked like. They could, um, and if they have a photo, if the family has a photo of great great grandma, then don't you think that they can mimic great grandma because they were there? Exactly. Uh, 120 years ago or whatever. But how profoundly deceptive and but how cruel of the evil one to take loved uh, 
apparitions, mimicking apparition, you know, of loved ones, and overwhelming people's emotions, and then using that to open doors, and it just makes me weep for for people that mm. they they are falling for that. But that when you mentioned mimicry a couple of times, it just jolted me because that is such a key ploy uh, in their work of deception. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, you, you stated, and I quote, what we believe isn't just a few data points bouncing around in our head. What we believe is a commitment of our heart. So can you explain uh, the importance of that statement there and how it relates to our discussion as we wrap up today? Yeah, maybe you can help me out with that one too. <laughs> sure. I was trying to, because um, I, I really, I've learned about really value your your insights, Alex. Oh, thank you. We, you're welcome. We all have worldviews. Um, they act like, spectacles or glasses through which we view all of reality and in a, in a nutshell worldview just essentially is like um, what we think about god what we think about um, the the universe and our relationship to both and it it involves a lot more than that but it's a world and life view and so people have a visceral commitment to their ultimate criterion, which is their worldview. It's how they see things. It's how they determine what is right and wrong. And, and it's um, um, formed over a lifetime from experience, from parents, environment, schooling, books we read, um, movies, and so forth. And a lot of it's caught more than taught. And, but the point is, there's also love lines. Perhaps a person's family, you know, had psychics in it or mediums or so on. Or if your parents were um, ghost hunters themselves uh, and that sort of thing, then those love lines are, are hard to break. And the point is, is that, um, the belief in ghosts and such is, again, it's not just like you said, uh, I said, I guess, uh, a data point. Um, there is there's emotional investment to it. I mean, you just you know, recall your involvement, Alex, with Reiki. Uh, there was an emotional investment and investment, um, financial as well. Um, with many paranormal investigators spending thousands of dollars on equipment. But, and then you have the um, camaraderie of the folks that become your friends and um, all that in a ball of wax, it kind of becomes a person's purpose in life, at least part of it, a big part of it. So it's, uh, you know, this topic of ghosts is, is um, it goes deep, you know, to into a person's belief system and then into their heart. And 
what they believe about reality and about God and and so forth. Um, I'd love to get your your insights. Yeah, I I really appreciate you sharing that. And I and again, I know we talked a little bit about this in the last episode that you were on, which is the the topic of worldviews, and you touched that on that in your book. And I just love that part of the book and how uh, important it is for people to really take a look at what their worldview is and, and be aware of that as they're approaching anything in life. I think so often we don't we don't stay, take the time to stop, and especially in our busy lives, to really. Uh, investigate how we're looking at things. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the problems that we have today. Um, and I, I, I just want to add that I, you know, as you mentioned, I, I was involved in Reiki and other parts of the paranormal and it was incredibly, incredibly challenging for me to leave that community because uh, like you said, I invested so much into it and I had relationships there I had a worldview there. I had my my whole identity in the way that you know the way I viewed the world as as, as we're talking about with worldview was wrapped up in a paranormal way of looking at things or a new age way of looking at things. And when I came out of that, it was it, I mean it was the most painful experience of, of my life because I had to completely shift uh, my reality. And with that shift came not only it's you know spiritual shift, an emotional shift, but a physical one for me. I, you know, I, I, ch- I changed careers. I, I left a, I left a, uh, uh, romantic relationship. I left the state and, uh, you know, it was very challenging. However, it was now, you know, going through, it was very challenging. But when I look back on it, I am so thankful that I did because I would rather go through the pain that I went through there to get, to get to the truth. And it makes me think about, uh, a Tony, a Tony Robbins quote, and, and I'm going to change it a little bit because he says, you know, people will do more to avoid pain than, uh, than they will to gain pleasure. And I think that you can shift that a little bit and say people will do more to avoid pain than they will to gain the truth or find the truth. And it, wow. it, it wow. it's, yeah, I just think it's so, it can be so uh, challenging to accept it because it's so painful, but there is a peace in accepting the truth that you you cannot get doing anything else you know if you're if you're continuously going down you know i and i don't mean to 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 compare people that are in the like myself like i once once was in the paranormal community or in the new age community in this you know spiritualist community to like somebody that is that and have has some kind of an addictive behavior or substance behavior but you can be very comfortable uh, being addicted to something that is not good for you whether that's alcohol or you know you know we can go on and on However, uh, once you make that, once you make that shift, uh, I, you make that change in your mind saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's going to be very, very painful to, to escape this habit. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to break free and I want freedom in, in my life. It's going to take some time. It's going to take, take some time to, to change your behaviors. It's going to take time to change your thoughts, but I think it's all worth it. I, I, not only do I think I know it's all worth it. And I think that Many people would agree with me that have taken that road, even though it's very, very challenging at first. That the the freedom that you gain from from approaching your life, uh, approaching the truth, and approaching your life from a from a more healthy standpoint, uh, a standpoint that allows you to see the world uh, as as God always wanted us to see it, which is you know I, I don't mean to you know bring your title into this, but like through through His way of looking at things, there's a peace that you cannot gain in any of the 
the pleasures and the thrills I think that that so often that we find in 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 the thrill seeking uh, paranormal community. Um, and so I just want to, uh, and I think we can also even look at it from a biblical standpoint, which is the the, the Pharisees were were always trying to cut corners and they were always uh, looking at things from uh, you know what was going to be maybe maybe easier in the moment, but was not really living up to what God wanted them to do. And the truth is found in God's word. And I think that even though that's a little bit different, I think it kind of reflects on our discussion here is people will oftentimes kind of take the easy route because it, it this can be very painful to shift your your vantage point. But I just want to tell people that it is so, so worth it in the end. It, um, and e- even if it takes a little bit longer than, than what you're, than what you're wanting to, to, uh, get break through that difficult moment, kind of being in the middle, stuck in the middle there, uh, before, you know, before you're getting to your goal of, of that, uh, final piece and, and just, just, uh, kind of breaking away from your old lifestyle. It is so worth it. And, um, yeah, so that. I just, I just want to, uh, to just really hit that home because this, this is a topic that really, you know, obviously it, it resonates with with a lot of people, but in, in in yourself, and it really res, resonates with me just just based off of my experiences. Alice, can you, can you say that um, the saying again that uh, it's easier the, the the one that you switched, Tony's the one that you yeah. switched up. Yeah, I so like- pe- people will do more to avoid pain than they will to gain the truth. Wow, that that is heavy. Yeah, yeah, it just, mm. it just really made me think about that quote. And, uh, you know, I, I had not thought about that before our discussion right now, but it just came to mind as we were talking there. So I uh, just I thought it was I thought it was appropriate. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, that's that really uh, is is all we I have in terms of questions. Is there anything else that you want to uh, share with with our audience before we uh, let them know where they can find the book and your YouTube? I'm trying to think. Um, just want to say I love you guys and thank you for listening in to Alex and, and myself. And um, thank you for the privilege of, of speaking to you. And though I don't know you personally, um, I hope that I hope that I came across uh, with kindness and not with any, um, you know, know-it-allness or mean-spiritedness because um, as, as the saying goes, I'm just one beggar showing other beggars where to find food and that's, that's Christ. And, um, you know, I have stumbled many times and it's, I just yearn that those of you who are honest seekers for truth, that you will, you will if you seek and ask then you'll find you'll find the truth in Christ, and um, don't don't hesitate to uh, contact Alex or myself if you have any questions. I love you guys and hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Awesome, thanks, Mark. And uh, um, it's, as far as the uh, book, uh, "Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes," I'm going to go ahead and put that up for those that are that are watching this. I'm going to put it on the screen. "Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes." You can find that at Amazon.com. I cannot recommend that book enough. As I said the first time that we spoke, it, it was instrumental in me coming to the Lord and and finding the truth um, as found in God's Word. So, um, just uh, I, I again, I cannot recommend that book enough. Such a fascinating look at the at the ghost topic and uh, one that we we very rarely see. Uh, from that vantage, from that vantage point in the paranormal community. 
Um, and another thing I wanted to share is we shared last time is um, Mark's email in case you wanted to contact him. I have it up on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and just say it as well. If you have any questions for Mark, I know he, he just mentioned he'd love to hear from you or any, any comments or anything. Um, it's M as in Mary, H U N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, E as in Edward at AOL.com. And you can find Mark also, uh, on YouTube. Just type in his name, Mark Hunneman. And that last name is H U N N E M A N N. So Mark Hunneman on YouTube. And, uh, I, I really, um, hope that people will check him out there because that a lot of what we talked about here today on the podcast, you can find there and even in a little bit, in a little bit more depth as it relates to especially residual hauntings. Mark mentioned he has, I think it's a 10 part series on it. It's really fascinating. And, um, he takes a, he takes a look again uh, at this topic from a way that I, I, I've never seen, uh, approach from, from that vantage point. And it's, it's incredibly informative. So I, 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 uh, really implore people to look at that. And, uh, I think, I think that's, yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's all we have for today, but Mark, I just want to say again, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I'm, I'm so appreciative of you coming on the podcast and I, and I think it's going to help out a lot of people and, uh, you know, God bless you and we will definitely keep in touch. Lord bless you too. And, and thank you again to, to, to you especially, but also to the audience. And, um, thank you for the honor of being and the fun for being on here and great. And I pray that it does help a maximum number of people. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Well, that is it for this week's show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the first interview that Mark and I did way back in episode four, uh, I think you're going to really enjoy that. Um, in that discussion, we talked a lot more in depth about his book, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, which I also highly recommend. And I don't know if there would be this podcast, by the way, if that book didn't exist. Uh, it helped me out a ton, a ton uh, when I was getting out of the new age. Uh, but yeah, we go a lot further into his book and really dissect that uh, phenomena, the ghost phenomena and paranormal investigations and um, look at how it's all de demonic deception. So please check that out if you haven't had a chance to do that. And don't forget to send in your recommendations for maybe in another author that you want me to interview or another testimony uh, that you've seen that you think would be a good fit for the podcast or maybe your own testimony uh, to my email, spiritanswerspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thank you, as always, for your support uh, for the podcast and for sharing this with somebody. I really appreciate it. And I will be praying for you, as always, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.